How do you know when God is personally speaking to you outside of his written word? How should we handle thoughts, ideas, feelings, and promptings that we suspect are actually from God? What do we do when we suspect God is giving us a message, either through people, dreams, visions, or some other means? Discernment is a huge part of the answer. And part of this also involves recognizing the leading of the Holy Spirit and understanding his role in our lives. Let's jump into the word of God to see what the scripture says about learning how to discern and recognize the voice of God in our lives. How do we know when God is actually speaking to us? This is when we finally get to the point in the series where we can start talking about how to recognize God's voice, how to discern when he's speaking. When, when I have a thought or a suspicion or a feeling or an idea or, or something that I'm suspecting is from God, how do I indeed determine whether or not it's God speaking to me? How do I know God is giving me a message through a person who claims to be speaking from God or, or a dream that I'm suspecting was from God and, I, and there was this really uh, this spiritual weight to it. There was a dimension of it that really resonated with me. And, and how do I know when God is speaking? That's the question today. And I've been saying all throughout this series that there is a, um, there is order to this. We need to know God's voice, then we'll hear God's voice, then we'll recognize God's voice, then we'll discern God's voice, then we'll be receptive to God's voice, and then we'll act on or listen to God's voice. And so when we talk about discerning God's voice in general, I want you to understand everything I'm about to show you in scripture today, I pray it really helps you navigate the rest of your life. I pray it opens your eyes to the way that God interacts with us and how to recognize when he's speaking to you. But I'm going to be giving you general wisdom principles that apply to how we discern the voice of God. Meaning what we're tackling today is the topic of discernment and the topic of recognizing and perceiving and understanding. And But these wisdom principles in scripture do touch this topic of recognizing God's voice in particular. And so recognizing God's voice starts with being a discerning people. It starts with us being humble and receptive to the leading of God's spirit. And I want to start in John chapter 10 because this right here is probably the crux of this whole series. This is the focal point of this whole, if you were to go, give me one passage that sums up the whole series, I'd take you to John chapter 10. Okay, Jesus says, as I almost spill my coffee, that would be terrible. Ah, man, almost got electrocuted. John chapter 10, verse one, it says, truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, But climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So we have a contrast here between the shepherd, I'll highlight in purple, and the one who is a thief and a robber, which I'll highlight in green for no reason in particular. I'm not saying green is a demonic color. Don't get weird. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep meaning he's the rightful leader and caretaker and protector and provider of the sheep. Anyone who climbs in another way into the sheepfold is a thief and a robber. And typically, we assume the thief and the robber Jesus has in mind is Satan or the devil. I wouldn't think that is entirely wrong, but let's keep reading. He says, to him, the gatekeeper opens. So we have a gatekeeper here. And this gatekeeper is the one who allows someone access into the sheepfold or not and denies them access. Well, the gatekeeper gladly opens the door. My shepherd, come on in because he knows who the shepherd is and the sheep hear his voice. 
So notice how we have the shepherd, we have the gatekeeper, and now we have the sheep. The sheep. I'll highlight them in pink. The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. That's one thing to know about these sheep, is they hear the voice of the shepherd. And he calls his own sheep by name. What does the shepherd do? He calls his own sheep and he leads them out. There are two things the shepherd does here. Three things technically. He enters in rightfully into the sheepfold. He calls his own sheep. Come on, sheep. And he leads them out. He's the one at the head of this thing directing them. The sheep, their job is to hear his voice. Their job, verse four, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. I love that. This is the good shepherd leading the charge. Now, this analogy or illustration is exactly what Jesus is using to make it clear who he is and who we are in relationship to him. And the sheep, their job is not just to hear the voice of the shepherd, but to follow him. Do you know why? Because they know his voice. They know his voice. So it's one thing to hear the voice of the shepherd. It's another thing to know his voice. And just for you Bible nerds, I will do you the service of looking up what this Greek word means in this context. Uh, Where are we at? John 10 verse 4. I still have not yet mastered logos or logos, however you personally say it. There's no wrong way. That software is unbelievable and I don't know how to use it yet. Okay, he's brought them out and the sheep follow him because they know... The Greek word here, transliterated, ido. It's literally how it sounded out in the English, okay? The word used to know can mean to be, aware, to be aware, to behold, to consider, or to perceive. Not Unlike in the Hebrew, I don't believe this word carries any intimacy, kind of sexual connotation to it. Um, it can mean to, to know, to remember, to appreciate, to perceive with the eyes, to perceive with the heart. So the knowing here, right here in verse 4, um, is to perceive, to be aware or familiar with. And the same, I think, in the Hebrew, the idea of knowing is used between Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam knew his wife. Um, that can play into what it means to know the voice of the shepherd, but specifically the Greek word here in this context just means to perceive and to be familiar with, to fam- be familiar with his voice. So it almost goes like this, and this is where I get my line of reasoning to say we need to know his voice, then we'll hear his voice, then we'll recognize and discern his voice. First, we need to know his voice right here. Then when we do hear his voice, it says the sheep follow him. For, or because, here's the reason they know his voice. In other words, what precedes following the shepherd is you know the shepherd's voice. And this is not referring, I don't believe, just to the one-time salvation where we perceive the voice of God in the gospel and we respond in faith and we're following the shepherd. But I also believe this includes our daily call to follow him and recognize his leading in our life. Okay, because that one-time act of salvation or righteousness, that one call to the gospel, through the gospel to salvation, that one-time call to come into the kingdom and come into the family, that is something that we need to be open to, absolutely. But once you do, once you are his sheep, there is a call on us to become familiar with his voice, to know his voice. 
because our ability to follow Jesus effectively, okay, and this is not to minimize his ability to lead us. This is about our ability to recognize his voice because of the time we've invested into knowing his voice and becoming familiar with his voice. The voice of the good shepherd is the central focus of this passage, is that he is the one leading, calling, you know, saying, follow, do you hear my voice? It's him. So a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they, they don't know the voice of strangers. They don't, I'm teaching my kids to not follow strangers. My daughter is extra uh, cautious, sometimes overly cautious, and she judges everyone that walks by as if they want to kidnap her. And I, I definitely recommend her being safe. Um, but as long as she's with her daddy, as long as my son is with me, they don't need to worry about being deceived by a stranger because I'm right there by their side to tell them whether or not they can trust the person approaching us or whether or not they can go with the person calling them. So a stranger, the sheep do not know the voice of strangers. So when we're trying to figure out who's the stranger and we know the shepherd is Jesus, who's the thief and the robber? Well, we know he's the stranger, so it'd be better to, re- to highlight the stranger here in green rather than a, I'll just use, it'll be like a green red. So the stranger here contrasted with the shepherd, his voice the sheep don't know. That's what distinguishes him from the shepherd. He's an unfamiliar voice. And what makes someone a stranger is the fact that you don't have any familiar experience or relationship with them, right? That's the whole definition. Like, I'll look up the de- definition of the word stranger. Please don't bring up Stranger Things. I hate that show. If you like it, that's fine. I ain't watching that crap. Stranger. A stranger is a person whom one does not know or with one whom one is not familiar with. A stranger is someone a person doesn't know and they're not familiar with. So when we're talking about who's the stranger, who's the thief and the robber, you can insert Satan, you can insert the devil being the ultimate stranger voice, but the idea here is a stranger is someone we're not familiar with. We don't have relationship with them. We haven't spent time with them to know them and to know them as a person and so they're not a stranger anymore. We're unfamiliar with them. The figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Isn't that ironic? Jesus is saying, people who know my voice, hear my voice, follow my voice, understand what I'm saying. And then as he's saying this, you got a group of people going, we don't get it. And Jesus goes, exactly. Jesus again says, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I thought you said you're the shepherd. He's also the door. It's a great program God has set up for us, man. It's a great program. He's the door. He's the shepherd. He's also the one. The gatekeeper goes, come on in. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. So when you're trying to figure out who are the thieves and robbers, could you get to John 10, 10, and Jesus is like, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And I've always looked at this passage as, that's Satan, that's Satan. And of course, that's the nature of Satan. But also, the thieves and the robbers here, whom Jesus is trying to get us to understand, we should not be familiar with their voice. These thieves and robbers are those who have come before Jesus. And we should ask, in what capacity? What do you mean they came before you? Presumably, to be those who led or were appointed to lead the sheep 
and help the sheep and teach the sheep and instruct the sheep on behalf of God. And this is all throughout the Old Testament. We see false shepherds, those whom God has appointed. They have a degree of authority. The elders, the prophets, um, the priests, those whom God has put in a place of leadership to lead the nation of Israel, and they abuse their position. They pervert the teaching of God. They deceive the sheep. They take advantage of the sheep. And I believe that's who Jesus mainly has in mind, are the fake shepherds of, G- of uh, the Old Testament days that Ezekiel warns of, that Isaiah warns of. The sheep did not listen to them. Hmm. What makes someone a sheep is not just the fact that they know the voice of Jesus. It is also the fact that they do not listen to contradicting voices in their life. We often think of following Jesus as just positive doing, when in fact the fear of the Lord or following Jesus or obedience is actually turning away from what the Lord calls evil or deceptive or wrong or sinful. So following Jesus is not just doing good things while we're listening to the voice of strangers. We don't entertain the voice of strangers. We entertain one voice because we trust his voice and we know his voice. And if you don't, you can come to know his voice. And if you're like, I'm really prone to being deceived, I'm really prone to the voices of strangers and letting those voices lead me, then I want to encourage you, the more you know his voice, the true voice, you'll actually begin to recognize and reject the voices of counterfeits. Okay, so we don't need to study counterfeits. There are some people who steep themselves in studying false religions and all the other counterfeits we have out there, and they get so lost in the weeds, they forget the fact that if you just study the truth, and if you know the truth, you don't need to immerse yourself in all the different books and scholarly efforts of all the other religions. You can just recognize a counterfeit because you know the truth. Jesus says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So he explains what he means when he says he's the door. And they will go out, go in, and go out and find pasture. There's pasture, there's grazing, there's blessing, there's abundance for the sheep of God. But the only way into that, the only way to experience that is through faith in Jesus, who is both the door and the shepherd. That's why in John 14, he'll say, I'm the way. I'm the way to the Father. This is not just a general analogy where it's like, I'm just trying to get into some sheepfold, I guess. This is about getting to the Father through the Son to find grazing and pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, he who is a hired hand, now we have a hired hand, and not a shepherd who doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. In other words, this person's only there for the money. They're only there doing a job to get paid, get that paycheck, and get out. They don't have genuine concern or love for the sheep. They don't own the sheep, so they're not personally invested in that capacity the way the shepherd is. Okay, so the hired hand here seems to be likened to the robbers, the strangers, the thieves that have come before Jesus, who don't care about the sheep, and the sheep being the people of God. Historically, throughout Israel's history as a nation, um, lots of people who have been in leadership positions, who were appointed by God to care for the sheep, they actually abused and took advantage of the sheep. 
Okay. Verse 13, he flees because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. In contrast, though, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. This here is going to be the basis of everything else we're going to talk about today is that Jesus as the good shepherd first, he knows his own and they know him. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So again, verse 16, they'll listen to my voice. The idea here is this. It's absolutely about us knowing God, but it's more about him knowing us, which leads us into knowing him. So I want to show you something. Um, I think this is Galatians. Yes. Father, am I supposed to go here? Because you brought it to mind, so I'm just going to go here. Because I think I'm supposed to. You clarify if I'm supposed to be here. It's in chapter 3. This is just what came to mind for me. And I, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians 3. Um... Come on. Hold on. What I love about this is I can... Yep, there it is. It was Galatians 4. I am a loser. Okay, Galatians 4, 9. This is what it says. Um, but now that you have come to know God... This is Paul warning the people in the region of Galatia to not turn to the law for salvation... And within his argument, he's saying, why would you go back to what you were enslaved to? They're not gods. They can't help you. They're not there for your good. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? So the idea here is part of Paul's argumentation, part of his plea for the Galatian believers not to go back to the law for salvation. Part of that is, how, why would you go back when you know him and he knows you mainly? So the argument here is not, you know him, it's awesome. It's mainly he knows you so you can know him. It's wonderful. Now that you've come to know God or rather to be known by him, why would you go back to the lesser things? That's the argumentation here. And the same argument I'd like to put forth to you is, why would we want to be accustomed to, familiar, uh, to, to unfamiliar voices and strangers' voices when we're known by God? That's the idea, is we're known by Him. This is why Matthew chapter 7, Jesus will say, not all who say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's going to say, I did not know you. I did not know you. So you have to understand that part of knowing God's voice is enjoying the fact that he knows me. It, it's relationship. It's not a one-way street where it's me putting all the effort in, but it's also me just receiving sometimes and sitting back and enjoying the fact that God loves me. God knows me. God saved us. God sent his son for us. And just relishing in that truth and, and enjoying that fact that he knows me. And that from that place of being known by him, 
I want to know him so I can follow him effectively. I want to follow him, but I need to know him. And part of knowing him is just being known by him and enjoying that fact. So when we go back to the question of how do I recognize God's voice in my life? How do I discern when he's telling me something or giving me a message? How do I know? You need to know God's voice. What is the main way he's spoken, ladies and gentlemen? It is in his word. Meaning this, the best way to grow in the knowledge of God and to grow familiar with his voice is to spend as much time in the word of God as you can. That is the quickest way to accelerate the process of growing in relationship with God is to pour yourself into the scriptures and to allow God to reveal truth to you. And so as he does that throughout your life, you'll have truth to pull from in order to recognize when God is speaking at any given moment. Okay. So I also want to touch on this. We're going to touch on discernment mainly. That is the whole point of this. How do I know his voice? Well, you spend time in his word mainly, not only, but mainly. And as you do, you'll grow in your discernment and recognize when he's speaking. But also know this, the leading of the Holy Spirit is a huge part of this conversation. The leading of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this is paramount to this conversation. So when we talk about recognizing the voice of God, I want you to, um, whatever, okay, close your eyes. For those of you that'll actually do this, you get an extra blessing. Close your eyes, and I want you to imagine, when I say, recognize God's voice, what comes to mind? What do you imagine? What are the thoughts? What scenarios play out in your head? What do you see? What do you initially think of when you hear, recognize the voice of God? A lot of people, it's mainly about um, a message it's mainly about uh, words and ideas being conveyed through those words. But what if recognizing the voice of God also involves knowing how to discern his work and his activity in the world? Meaning, okay, I want to I detach you from your understanding for a minute and just let's assume what we know about recognizing God's voice is completely wrong. And let's assume that recognizing God's voice is not just about the message, the words, and the ideas, and the voice of the one speaking. What if it's also, what if recognizing God's voice also involves knowing how God is strategically working in the world, in my neighborhood, in my community, in my school, in my workplace, in my family, in my own life? What if it's also about discerning his work? and his hand, and his presence in a situation. Because we jump straight for the message. And we've what we've done is we've reduced God speaking down to just receiving a letter in the mail. Where it's like, I'm more concerned with, with the envelope, with the envelope, depending on how you say it, with the envelope and the message in that envelope. That's what I'm more concerned with. When actually, discerning God's voice also involves us being concerned with the one who is handing us that message, that being God. It's, it's also us being excited about the fact that God is here and he's 
personally delivering me a message. We get enthralled and captivated by the letter and by, and by the envelope. And we go, a message from the Lord, a message from the Lord. And God's going, the message is supposed to convey ideas and re- reveal truth to you in order for you to be pointed back to me. We think, again, w- what I'm saying is, in, in, in a lot of words, is we somehow have gotten to a place where discerning God's voice is about a message detached from God and his presence in my life. And I want you to see in John 14 and John 15 and John 16, the way that Jesus is going to explain the leading of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit is it is about the indwelling presence of God more than it is about receiving a hand you know, delivered letter. It's about the fact that he's there giving it to me. This is from him. This points me to him. He's in the midst of this. And so his presence in a situation is at the core of what it means to discern and recognize his voice. It's not just about getting a yes or no from God. This is what we've done. I apologize on behalf of the Christian church, on behalf of rather the Western church. I apologize if you have been taught that hearing from God is about getting a yes or no for a situation or a decision. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that someone, some pastor or teacher has reduced God down to someone who stamps your decisions with a yes or no. And while God's role in our life does involve directing and navigating and giving us a clear yes or no, that is not all he's concerned with. It is about relationship. It is about intimacy. It is about familiarity. It is about knowing his heart and his character and his ways, not just so I can get a yes or no or know if God is in this decision, but so that I can enjoy the fact that he's here. More than the yes or no that comes through, I want to be excited about the fact that God has personally invested himself into my tiny little life. So hearing from God, contrary to Western thought, where it's about, I have a decision to make and I just need a yes or no from God. I need his divine permission to get what I want and do what I want beyond that. It is about recognizing God's presence and his hand in this situation, not whether or not I can go forward with it or not. So God's scripture, or God brings scripture to mind when he leads us, when he directs us, by his presence. His word is the primary means of directing and leading us. I've said this in the beginning of the series, and if you missed it, I'm sorry, but not every random thought, I know this will crush your hopes and dreams, Not every random thought or idea you have is actually from God. And before we jump into the leading of the Spirit and the guidance of the Spirit, you need to know that there are some people, hyper, extreme, charismatic believers, who have decided that every ridiculous idea and thought and and imagination they have is from God Basically, because of the fact that it's so random and I never could have come up with this. You'd be surprised what your imagination can conjure up. You'd be surprised um, what ideas you on your own can just manufacture. And you don't need to bring God into it like he's the one giving it to you. So pause. The word of God is the main way he leads us. Pause. 
every not every idea and thought and fantasy and imagination you have is actually God, and we shouldn't determine whether it's from God based on the level of ridiculousness. Going, whoa, this came out of nowhere. It must be God. Or, whoa, I wasn't thinking about this. This must be from God. Or, whoa, I would have never known to think about this. It must be from God. If that is your only filter for determining whether God is speaking to you, you're set up for trouble. John 14, 26. Jesus is encouraging his boys. And part of encouraging is giving promises. Okay, part of encouraging is giving promises. And that's a word for some of you. Okay, that's a word for some of you because your encouragement should not come from the empty promises of people that, that, are, that are given or, or, or what a situation might look like or how things might turn out. Your encouragement should come from the absolute certain promises of God in Scripture. Okay, so... <sighs> Let me close this so I'm not distracted by the chat as much as I love y'all. Okay. John 14, 26. When the helper, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the helper, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit's, one of his roles is to teach his people the truth about Jesus, to point the people of God to Jesus, to reveal the person of Jesus, to recall the truth of Jesus in a situation when my back's up against the wall and I don't know how I got here and I don't know how to respond, to bring scripture to mind that he's taught me so I can use that as a way to navigate this situation, okay? The, the Father sends the Spirit to teach all things that are necessary and needed for the church to know, the Spirit of God teaches. And he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, you could take this passage and say, this is only for the 11 apostles there receiving this message. Is it though? Because part of the way we determine that is by looking into the epistles and the rest of the New Testament to see if these ideas and these applications we're gleaning are are validated by other passages so i believe there's other scriptures to clearly tell us that the spirit of god's role in our life as well not just the apostles not just their unique role as the pillars in the church but in our lives as well the spirit of god teaches us truth and brings to our remembrance what he said to us prior now, we don't have this luxury of having personal one-on-one face-to-face interactions with Jesus in the Middle East. We don't have that. But we do have relationship experience in walking with Jesus, hearing his voice in his word, studying the scriptures, memorizing scriptures. And part of the Spirit's role in our life is to bring those scriptures to mind. So this is why I say recognizing God's voice is not just about the message and the packaging and saying, is this you or not? Is this a yes or no? It's also about discerning his hand and his presence.
presence in a situation or in a decision and go, are you with me? What are you doing here? I love when Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing because that shows me I have a lot of growth to have. I have a lot of growth and progress to make. I am not there yet where I walk into a room and I discern how God is up to something here. And I discern what God is doing in the lives of every every person here. I'm not there yet. When I go to Costco, I just want eggs and I just want to get out, right? I don't necessarily go in there going, how are you at work here, Father? How do I discern the way that you've called me to partner with you in what you're doing? Well, what's my role in this? I'm not always there. I'm not always there. I'm pretty selfish at times. But I want to get to the place, and I hope you do as well, where we walk into a room or a situation or any kind of context and go, how is my Father working here? What is he up to? And what's my role to play in what he's doing? How can I partner with God in his work in this situation or in this environment and context? And the Spirit of God, part of his role is to bring truth to mind. So if you're wondering, how might God speak to me throughout my life? A lot of the times, the clearest ways God speaks to us is scripture that comes to mind or us recalling a passage or us recalling truth and going, for some reason, that's coming to mind. When I think about how to manage my finances here and and we have nothing, no other option left and our bills are piling up and I'm looking at the little we have, when scripture comes to mind about how God provides or God's a good shepherd or, or Jesus multiplies the fish and the loaves and I think about how that might influence how I look at this situation or how I navigate it, that might just be God speaking to you. For some reason, we have become more excited about these extra spiritual supernatural encounters with God where it's like he clearly spoke the heavens rent open and an angel descent and we're more excited about that than we are about the fact that while I was on the bus, Philippians 2 came to mind while I was looking at that 45-year-old man. And we get more excited. I'm telling you, a lot of what God wants to do in your life will be initiated by you simply recalling and remembering Scripture that the Spirit of God brings to mind. And you and I should follow that trail of breadcrumbs. I wonder how many times scripture comes to mind and we just pass it off. Because it's almost like our, our mind is a conveyor belt. And each there's an item being delivered on that conveyor belt. And we can either take that thought and entertain it or we can dismiss it and receive the next one. And receive that one or entertain it or dismiss that one and receive the next one. And it's like every time there's an opportunity for scripture to be meditated on. We look at it and we go, meh, I'm waiting for God to speak to me. More scripture. Why am I thinking about how Samson's almost, you know, or did give himself over to Delilah? That has nothing to do with my life. Next. Why am I thinking about how Jonah was tossed over and, and how Philippians, this is not where I want to go. Man, you have no idea how often the spirit of God is trying to get your attention with a simple whisper of scripture and how powerful you meditating on that or you following that train of that line of reasoning. You have no idea how 
that could lead you to something you've been praying for or lead you to the answer for your decision or lead you to a situation you didn't even know to ask for. Man, throughout your day, recognize those moments when the Holy Spirit brings Scripture to mind and go, why am I randomly, especially when you read the Scriptures, it is so, like just now, what happened earlier is I read, I read John 10, okay? And the Spirit of God, I believe, brought to mind that passage in Galatians because it's very similar to me. I thought, oh, that sounds a lot like Galatians. So rather than dismiss it and go, can't be God, I'd rather go to the scripture he's bringing to mind and and, and figure out if indeed this is something. Because at least, at least, God is for sure speaking through the word that you're reading. And I think so much of our life is God inviting us just just wooing us and, in, 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 and enticing us lovingly to come and meditate on his word. And we're so quick to dismiss it because we think, no, God, if God's going to answer my prayer or speak to me or give me, help me navigate a decision, it's going to look like this. And then when scripture comes to mind, we're like, that can't be him. That's too easy. That's too plain. I don't want to go and read Ephesians 1. That has nothing to do. You have no idea what God intends to lead you into or bring to mind, or open your understanding to to perceive, if you would just go, hmm, as I'm falling asleep tonight, I can't help but Psalm 89 keeps coming to mind. I don't even know what that says. Go read it. Go read it. Meditate on it. Yeah, oh man. And this is not the only way that God leads us. But I'm telling you, this is the primary way that God leads us in decisions, in situations, in our prayers, in most of our life. The way God will lead you will not look like the way TV shows and movies have portrayed some divine being leading people. You and I I have been trained by the media, by the culture, by our kindergarten teacher and the movies we watched, we've been trained to think that there will be these supernatural occurrences in our life where a car falls out of the sky and God's like, it's for you, Tommy. Thanks, God. The way God is going to speak to you won't be in this pagan ritualistic way that the media has portrayed. The universe is speaking to me. God is different. And the way man or humanity wants to be encountered by God and wants to be talked to by God is not always the way that God intends to speak to us. Sometimes it is a small, all barely recognizable whisper of Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48. And you go, I was just praying that you would give me clarity on whether or not I should leave my boyfriend because things are looking weird. And I know he's a believer and he goes to church. I see it. But every time we get around each other, it's like, ooh, things happen, man. And I don't, I don't want to. And as you're praying, Isaiah 48 comes to mind. The Spirit of God brings Scripture to mind. And when you read the Word of God, it really does touch your subconscious. So that at times you don't even realize that word has been planted deep in you and it's affecting the way you're seeing and navigating the situation. 
So I would say the main way, I'm, I'm comfortable with saying the main primary way God intends to lead his people is always through his word. Always, always, always. It, there will be an element of truth in, I'll, I'll say it like this, the basic component of, one of the basic components of every way God intends to speak to his people through dreams, visions, prophetic words, the scriptures is it will always be um, consistent with the scriptures. It will always be consistent with the word of God. And if it is not, that is an easy way to determine this is not from him. In John 15, 26, and again, if people want to say like, that's not the primary way, I would very much disagree and again, that's not to say it's the only way God leads, but there's so much throughout our life and our day um, where the Spirit of God is recalling Scripture, is reminding us of things we've been taught, is bringing that memory verse from Awana that you had when you were eight, and you're like, how do I remember that? The Lord is faithful. Why do I have a song? There's a cadence to it. Because the Spirit of God is reminding you in this moment of what you've already learned. And that is part of the way God encounters and instructs and leads us. We're often obsessed with new information. Give me a new revelation. What if God just wants to remind you of what you've already learned, okay, and deepen your understanding of that? Ken, I just saw a Babylon Bee post. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, who are the people that dig up stuff? Uh, architects, uh, not architects, that's the wrong word. I'm going to ruin this, but um, give me, let, let me know the word. Who are the people that dig up old stuff, relics, and and they're always out there in the in the desert going, we found Israel. What are those people called? This very archaeologist. Thank you, Jessica. Not architectures. Ar- the post on Babylon B said, archaeologists have discovered Paul. Paul's a wanna vest and that every every badge. I thought that was hilarious because man, it's sometimes how we imagine Paul like that man mastered his memory verses. He had every badge that was, was they dug up they dug up Paul's wanna vest and it was fitted, maxed out. Uh, John fifteen twenty six. This is what Jesus says: When the Helper comes, whom I will send from the Father to you. Uh, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. This is so important to how we understand the way that God speaks to us. Sometimes we have this very rigid view of how God speaks, and it's actually quite selfish. And, and I want to I explain. We have decided that when God speaks, it will be for me, it will be about me. It will benefit me. I'll be the central focus of that message. I'll be the central beneficiary of that message. In other words, we think when God speaks to me, it is all about me. When in fact, actually, when the Spirit of God leads his people, when the Spirit of God instructs the people of God and teaches us the scriptures and recalls you know, to our mind the scriptures, it's actually supposed to glorify and bear witness to Jesus. And so this might be another way you think about how God intends to speak to you. Because we get so 
individualistic. And that's just the Western culture we live in, where we have our quiet time. I go in my closet. God's going to serve me and benefit me and answer my prayers and, and change my life and, and change me. And, 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 and Eastern culture is actually we... As the people of God are praying, we are opening the scriptures together. We are seeking God and worshiping him. We are seeking direction as a community. And that changes the way you understand how God speaks, how God speaks. Because if you, if you assume that one of the, the ways I know God is speaking is it's always about me, you're going to miss out on a lot of those opportunities, God is actually speaking to you and inviting you into something. Because it is about bearing witness to the Son. It is about glorifying the Son. It is about loving the Son. It is about honoring and worshiping and obeying the Son. It, the Spirit of God points us to Jesus. He magnifies Christ in our hearts. He glorifies Jesus in our lives. So when God speaks... That will be one of the ways we discern if indeed God is speaking to me. If it exalts you, if it magnifies you, if it's to the exclusion of everyone else around you, and it's just about your personal benefit, and it, I'm not saying you can never benefit from walking with Jesus and from God speaking to you. I'm saying if it is only isolated to you and your vision and your mission and your calling, and your gifts, and what you believe God is going to do through you and for you, if that's all you think God is going to talk to you about, I, I humbly and respectfully would like to push against that and say that when the Spirit of God leads, recalls, teaches, instructs, speaks to us, it will always honor and magnify and glorify Jesus and be something that benefits the rest of the church. And if you having personal vision for your life, and if God giving you dreams about your future and your children is going to benefit the rest of the church and honor the Son, sweet. But that has to be one of the main filters we put up. John chapter 16. I'm not lying, y'all. We are on page one of a five page sermon note thing. I don't think we'll get through all this today. I apologize. Hey, real quick, I want to tell you something you might not know about. In the description of this video, you can find the links for all the free resources we have available. And yes, these are all free. Our online Bible study classes, our online church community on the Discord app, all of the sermon notes from our past messages, Bible study cheat sheets, Bible study workshop videos, both our podcasts, and more. Visit AboveReproachMinistry.com for all these free resources. And while you're there, grab some church merch or grab a copy of my book, Fruitful. This book outlines the essential keys for the most abundant, satisfying life in Jesus. It's perfect for new believers and those who want to take their faith to a new level. Again, all these links can be found in the description of the video below. So go check that out and let's get back to the video. John chapter 16, and this is where I'm personally learning how to listen and recognize the leading of God. Like sometimes I plan to go along and I plan to finish what I prepared and God, I worked hard and God goes, cut it short. Or God goes, I want you to add this and make it longer. And I'm trying to learn how to know when he's doing that. John 16, verse 13, the spirit of God, when the spirit of truth comes, will God's spirit ever tell us something that contradicts 
the truth of God's word? No. Will, will the spirit of truth ever give us vision or dreams or prophetic insight or words for our own personal life that contradict what the scriptures say about God and his purposes in the world? No. No. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. When God speaks, one of the end goals One of the main purposes for which God speaks to us is to move us deeper into the truth. And if that comes, if if that involves God telling us to do something or not to do something, or if that involves God giving us direction in a situation, or if that involves God giving us vision for our future and that we're going to be preaching in stadiums, if that is part of the way that God intends to guide us into a deeper understanding of the truth, then so be it. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. Hmm. For some reason, cessationists don't like to read this part. I love you, brothers and sisters. I do. I really do. Or what we do is we go, that's only for the apostles. But the rest of this statement isn't. Does that seem like a a good, solid hermeneutic? Is that reasonable? That doesn't seem logical to me to take one verse, split it in half, and then say, part of this is for all believers, part of this is only for the apostles. You'd have to give me some very strong contextual evidence and not do hermeneutical gymnastics to get around this. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into the truth. If that applies to all believers, which I would venture to say you all agree that applies to all believers, and that he'll not speak on his own authority, then part of the Spirit's role in our life at some point, even if it's just once, there will be a declaration of things that are to come. Now the cessationist will say, pause, he's already done that. He's shown us in the scriptures the things that are to come that we need to know about the kingdom, about Jesus' second coming, about the millennial kingdom, about the end times, about tribulation, about all of that. God has revealed to us as a people all that we need to know about the future. And I would just like to say, does Jesus specify that this is communal future? Meaning, does Jesus specify that this is purely referring to eschatology and end times and what we need to know about the millennial kingdom? Or does he just say he'll declare to you things that are to come in a general sense, which can be both personal and can be both congregational? I think there's the possibility, a strong possibility, that the Spirit of God declaring things that are to come are not just for all believers, meaning like, this will happen to all of you, but sometimes the Spirit of God will give us insight into our own personal future and what God has us to do, or has us to plan for, or has us to avoid. This has happened in my own personal life a lot. A lot. And so that right there is part of the way we learn how to discern and recognize the voice of God. Some of y'all just drop an archaeologist in the chat. You're, you're way behind. Uh, discernment. Mm, trying to figure out how far should I go today. Here's where I was going to go. Let me show you my notes. What I wanted to do, probably can't see it. What I wanted to do, Still can't see it, probably. What I wanted to do 
was look at the primary filters for discernment that God has put in place. I wanted to go through what it means to develop godly discernment and how to do that. I wanted to look at how to practice godly discernment, like in our lives, put some legs on this thing for y'all, and look at some discerning individuals who actually practice discernment and, and, and learned what to do when they thought God was speaking and how to test a prophetic word, vision, or dream. Um, I'm not sure if we are going to get through all that, but I'll tell you what, we will go as far as I think we're supposed to. Okay. And I want to at least get to the primary discernment filters God has put in place, which again goes back to the word of God. Psalm 119 we have songs, we have tattoos, we have mugs, we have all the stuff. You can probably buy some crafts on Etsy that are all about this verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet. I'm going to highlight the feet there. And it is a light to my path. I'm going to highlight that in blue. Okay. The word of God, the truth of God, which at this point in the life of the psalmist is the Hebrew scriptures, is the is Torah. We don't have all the writings and all the prophets quite yet, but he at least has Torah and the instruction found in the law of God. So the psalmist is looking, David here is looking at the laws of God and the instruction in that and the wisdom provided. And he's going, my feet, which actually refers to the way you live, the way you walk, where you go, how you conduct yourself, right? He's saying my way of life and my sense of direction requires your word to be a lamp to lead me. So when you have a lamp, you have light that gives you um, a sense of direction, right? So when you'd have a lamp, the light would shine in the places, shine bright up the darkness to show you don't walk into the wall. You'll have to stand over that, jump over that, but that's the way to go. So a lamp is providing direction and sight and clarity to specifically my feet. If I could show you my feet, I would, but uh, I'm wearing trampoline socks right now because I love life and you need to enjoy life too and be a kid sometimes. <clears throat> but our life requires direction and the word of God provides that. Also, our path requires the light of God's word. Mm. And you wonder why the distinction there. Well, the feet, that's me conducting myself and going places. And the lamp seems to provide that. The light that shines and shows me where I'm going and where I am in proximity to where I'm going and where I've been, that's what the word of God is. So we often think of the word of God as, hey, tell me what to do. And I've heard this a lot. If you think this, I'm, I'm not like bashing you in any way. I, I love you. But there's this common view that says the Bible, the basic instructions before leaving earth. That's our Bible. And that's what we've reduced the word of God down to is a list of do's and don'ts to experience a certain kind of life. And while there is instruction and wisdom and clarity and, and all that stuff in the scriptures, that's not the only function of God's word at all. The word of God not only shows us how to live, but it being a light to our path shows us the path God wants us to walk on so that I know where I am 
in proximity to where he's leading me and in proximity to where I used to be. So the, the word of God also exposes us and leaves us, I mean, honest and transparent about where we really are spiritually. Where are you really at when it comes to your jealousy? Where are you honestly at when it comes to the way you look at finances? Where are you really at when it comes to the way you see God and your intimacy with Him? Where are you honestly at when it comes to your self-control? Where are you really, really truthfully, honestly at when it comes to the way you show compassion on people that you're walking by down the streets and you're quick to assume, if I give them money, that just means more drugs. Where are you honestly at? And the Word of God does a fantastic job of not just showing us how to live and where to go, but where we're truthfully, honestly at. And that's what we need to effectively discern God's voice, is I need a grasp on the Scriptures. I need a, a the biggest amount of understanding I could possibly have, because it works like this. The more understanding you have the more likely you are to make the appropriate decision, right? The greater knowledge I have of God's word, the more that I have to pull from when I'm in a situation where I don't know what is the right course of action to take. And I can reference what I've already been taught, what I've already learned in the scriptures. But if you have a low level of understanding, that just means we all can grow but that means you have less to pull from when you're in a situation. And of course, I've had this happen where the Spirit of God actually teaches me in that moment something that I never knew before. And it's not even like something clicked about the Scriptures. It's like a completely brand new idea that was foreign to my mind and imagination all of a sudden took root in my mind. And it's like I I suddenly knew something that I never knew. And the Spirit of God can absolutely do that. But I don't believe that's normative, nor should we expect that to be the normal way we live our lives, where I don't know a lot, but in this moment, God will tell me what I don't know. I think you should spend as much time being faithful to know his word, to understand the scriptures, so that in those, in any situation and context and environment, you have a lot of truth to influence the way you make a decision or the way you navigate that situation. Okay, John 17, verse 17. Jesus, in the high priestly prayer, he says, sanctify them. In the truth, your word is truth. If you want to hear the voice of God, you open the scriptures. That is not the only way he speaks But that becomes the filter that I use to determine whether or not what I'm hearing is really from God. Uh, Think of it like, um, I don't know, like a strainer. When you wash things in a strainer, what you're doing is you're cleaning something that you intend to enjoy or eat. And then you're removing things that you don't want to eat. And those bad things, the dirt, the bacteria, the bugs, they fall through the strainer and into the sink and they're gone. You don't have to worry about it. That's how the word of God should function in our life is when thoughts come, I don't always know what is from God and what is not. I don't always know what is right or what is wrong. But as I use the word of God and think about what he says and think about what God has revealed in in the scriptures, I begin to almost shake out those thoughts 
with my little uh, strainer and I start to sort out the bad thoughts from the good thoughts and I shake out the bad thoughts and they fall through the holes of God's word and what's left is what is true, what is actually from God. Philippians 4, 8 through 9 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, and, and I want you to really pay attention to this. This is something that, uh, unfortunately, we're not as inclined to do when we're under pressure, right? When something's urgent and we need to make a decision or we're just in a situation, we don't always do this, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, if you can learn to use this passage to your benefit, it'll help. Philippians 4, 8 through 9 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, has excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise in those thoughts, think about these things. Meaning, if I'm going to really begin to discern God's voice in my life and recognize when he's speaking and know when a dream or a vision or a word is truly from him, part of that involves my daily discipline to take my thoughts captive and hold them up to the standard God has given. Paul here is giving us a very clear standard to measure your thoughts against. (coughs) So it's like you're playing um, those little memory games where you're trying to match two pictures. You know, the cards are flipped over and you're like, a donkey. Hmm. Flip another card over. Santa. Ah, you flip them back over, right? You're trying to match two pictures. It's kind of like that, where you're taking the thought you have, or the idea you have, or the feeling, or the emotion, or even the, the, the desire and ambition you have in your mind. You're taking that, and you're trying to match it up with God's word. You're saying, does this match up with truth? Does this match up with what is honorable? Does this thought match up with justice and purity and loveliness? Is it commendable? Is there excellence? Is is this worthy of praise? And if your thought or your idea meets this these criterias, then that is something you should meditate on and think through. When God speaks, okay, he will not say something that is not true. He will not say something dishonorable. He will not say something unjust or impure. He will not tell you something that is not lovely or commendable or excellent or worthy of praise, right? So here I have a standard for my thought life. I have a way to measure my thoughts and what I perceive to be God's voice, I measure that against this standard here. Now, by no means is this an exhaustive standard, but it is a great place to start. If you can begin to think through your thoughts a bit more before you entertain them or before you accept them as true, you would do yourself a great service. You'd benefit yourself a lot and you'd help a lot of people in the process from getting run over by your bad decision making. 1 Corinthians 12.3, here's another kind of criteria and filter we can put in place to effectively discern when God is speaking. I almost coughed. I know you guys don't like that. Too bad I got a cough. Therefore, I want you to understand 
No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. If you ever have a thought, idea, dream, vision, word from God that minimizes Jesus, that undermines Jesus, that discredits Jesus, um, that belittles him or reduces him or contradicts what he has said or, or um, you know, minimizes his lordship and his divinity, you can for certain say, that is not from God. And if anyone is going to speak in the Spirit, or if God is going to speak to us through someone or without someone, it will never be to the neglect of Jesus' worth and value and honor and glory and identity. It will actually encourage those things, which is why I said in John 14 and 15, it seems explicitly clear that if God's going to speak to you, not only will that message honor Jesus, but also your response to that message and what that's supposed to prompt in you will honor and glorify Jesus. So anyone who denies the clear identity of Jesus, that he is Lord, that he is King, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the living word emanating from the Father, anyone who denies those things is not someone I should rely on to speak to me about God. And if they're telling me, I have a word from God for you, and yet they deny who Jesus is, probably not someone I want to give my attention to. Or if there's a a spirit behind a certain vision or dream that you think is from God, and part of that spirit is encouraging you to think less about Jesus and, and undermine his divinity, and he's not God, you can know for certain that is not from God. In fact, 1 John 4, 3 says this very clear. By this you know the Spirit of God. Thank you, Pack Attack, for that gift. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. So if someone is giving you a message from God and they're denying the humanity of Jesus, don't listen to them. If you have some kind of inclination or suspicion or word or dream or vision you think is from God... And it's encouraging you to, to deny the humanity of Jesus or, or diminish the humanity of Jesus. It's not from God. <laughs> Every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you already heard was coming and now is in the world already. There's another passage uh, in 1 John. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So we're not just talking about Jesus being truly human. John also wants to make it very clear throughout his letter, I can't find the other passage right now, um, that Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the eternal word emanating from the Father. He's the living word. He's divine. He's equally on par with the Father as the only true and living God. And anyone who denies that, or any spirit that denies that, or any message that denies that, you should not pay attention to. It's not from God. Okay. So here's what I think I'm supposed to do. 
we're going to talk we were going to talk about developing godly discernment and practicing godly discernment and we we'll, we were going to look at discerning individuals and how to test a prophetic word or vision um here's what i actually will do I, i'm going to switch things up we'll end here okay think this is what you want me to do lord so we're going to end here How do you test a prophetic word, vision, dream to know it's from God? I've already told you what to do and how to navigate that and how to discern that. Then next week we'll look at developing godly discernment and and training our discernment and exercising discernment and and all that stuff. We'll look at discernment. But I want to end by showing you not just what to do. When you have a sneaking suspicion that God is speaking to you through a person or through a message you received on Instagram, or through a dream, or a vision, or a prophetic word, or some kind of idea, or insight, or, or inclination, or, or some the people will talk about how God dropped a word in my spirit. If you suspect God is speaking to you, I've given you some things to do. Now let me tell you what not to do. Okay? Let me tell you what not to do. This is specifically addressing the issue of prophecy. Now, when we hear prophecy, you guys think future. Not all prophecy is future-oriented. To prophesy simply means to speak on behalf of God as his messenger, delivering a message to who he's asked me to. It's very simply speaking a message from God on behalf of God for someone else. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19 through 22 says this. Do not, do not quench the Spirit. And usually people will stop there and go, yeah, don't quench the spirit. He's like fire and you don't want to put him out and throw a bucket of water on him. Well, what what does that mean for my life? Uh, I wasn't exactly planning to drench the spirit of God in water this morning. So how do I not do that? What does that even mean? Well, he says, don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Now, I want to pause and ask this question to you. Let me know in the chat what you guys think. What does testing prophecy have to do with abstaining from evil? What does testing prophecy have anything to do with me staying away from evil and doing what is good? It's as if our lifestyle here is connected to our level of discernment. I want you to think about that. It's as if the way you are currently living now, in the direction of God or in the opposite direction of God, towards good or towards evil, it's as if your way of life actually impacts your ability to discern and test things properly. It's as if your way of life is somewhat paralleling your level of discernment in that moment. Meaning this, I think what Paul is really trying to say when he says, don't despise prophecies, which some people do, they scoff, they mock, they reject any opportunity for God to possibly be speaking in a prophetic way through dreams or visions or prophetic words or through what I believe to be genuine prophets, whoever they are. People scoff and mock and despise and they've closed themselves off to God ever speaking in that way. 
And I would like to say that is not the only way to despise prophecy, right? To just rebuke it and be closed off to it and reject any chance of God speaking in that way. But there's also this. <clears throat> when you don't test what's, what you uh, suspect is from God, dream, vision, prophetic word, counsel from someone, something dropped in your spirit, you have an idea. When you don't test that, you are in fact despising prophecy. Because what I should do when a genuine prophecy comes my way, through whatever mode that takes, is I should test that. And part of testing that means I am measuring it against the truth of God's word, his character, his plan of redemption, his son, the gospel, all of that. But it also involves me holding fast to what is good and abstaining but from every form of evil. So there's evil on both sides. There's evil in assuming everything I think and feel is from God. Everything I hear is from God. That actually can be an, an extreme that leads you down the path of evil. The other extreme is equally as evil, as far as I'm concerned, to scoff and mock and, frankly, um, deny any chance of God speaking prophetically. That is, I, as far as I'm concerned, equally as destructive. But notice here, abstaining from every form of evil is in contrast to holding fast what is good. In contrast with holding fast to what is good. Meaning this, I believe the lifestyle is in mind. How you are living right now either leaves you vulnerable to deception or leaves you um, properly discerning to test the word of God when it comes and to accept it and to be receptive to it. Some of you are very vulnerable to deception and you're gullible and you're easily deceived because your way of life does not already conform to the scriptures. You are not living in the direction of God's word. You're not living according to the way God has outlined in the scriptures. <clears throat> you're not living um, with God's word as the compass of your life. You don't care what he wants. You don't care what he says. You don't care what he desires. Every feeling and thought, you act on that as if it's true. Every desire you have, you act on that. Every craving you have, you act on that. Every opportunity that you think is good, you jump on that. There's no desire to honor God in your life. And that is why when someone comes and, and says, I have a message from God, you're wide open to it. You assume everything is from him. And you're actually opening yourself up to uh, unfamiliar spirits that would lead you away from God. On the other side, those of you who are holding fast to what is good, and you're saying the word of God is the compass for my life, and I want to live how he wants, and I care what he desires, and I want his plan, and I want to honor him, and I want to glorify the Son, and I just want to be led by the Spirit, and I'm doing everything I can to hold fast to my Father. You, my friend are positioned to be receptive and discerning and properly test words that come from God that are actually true. In other words, you're not in a position to be deceived. You're in a position to be led by God. And that's what I want for you guys. Do not despise prophecy. To dismiss prophecy as a possible form of communication from God is to already be despising prophecy. 
First John 4, 1 through 3 says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit. It doesn't say don't be- test the spirits. It actually says the opposite. Test the spirits. So instead of being open to anything that looks supernatural or looks spiritual and appears to be from God, <clears throat> instead of just assuming and thinking, I know what's right, you should acknowledge God in all your ways and lean on Him, not your own understanding, and instead test the spirits. Don't just test the message. Test the direction that message is taking you. Test whoever's bringing that message to you to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Listen, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh. That that spirit is from God. So we're talking about spirit of Antichrist versus the Spirit of God. There are two... There's only two... um, possible uh, options when it comes to who is this message from. It's either from God or it's from the enemy, whether that be the world, the flesh, evil spirits, false prophets. Either way, it's either from God or it's not from God. Those are your two options. And if you have not determined that a message is from God or a dream or a vision, if you have not Determine that and discern that and tested that and sought for clarity on that. I would encourage you to do that. Again, don't dismiss prophecy as if God never speaks like that anymore. But also don't open yourself up to anything that appears to be spiritual or supernatural or from God. Test it. Against the scriptures, the word of God, the character of God, the plan of God, the gospel. Test it. Where's that taking you? What thoughts is that promoting? Is it honoring and glorifying Jesus? Test it. So when you're discerning, is this from God? Is this not? Don't quench the spirit by despising prophecy, but also don't believe every spirit and be gullible. And also don't be like these false prophets in Jude. In like manner, these people, these false prophets, these false teachers, they rely on, on their dreams their source of truth their compass for their life originates in their own imagination they defile the flesh meaning they live in disobedience they reject authority they are rebellious and they blaspheme the glorious ones this is the kind of life that comes from relying on your dreams I'm being very clear. I am not saying to rely on dreams. I'm saying if you have a suspicion that any of your dreams are actually God conveying a message to you, here's what I would say. Test that. Discern through that. Pray through that. Fast about that. Seek for clarity. Look at the scriptures. Search the scriptures. Measure that. Get godly counsel from people who trust in Jesus and rely on his word. Do all those things. But if you rely on your dreams as your ultimate compass and your ultimate source of truth, this is inevitably the life that comes from that. My dreams are not reliable, but God can speak to me through dreams if he so wills it. So when it comes to prophecy, when it comes to dreams, when it comes to your feelings, your suspicions, your emotions, your ideas, your ambitions, your anything that, are, that, that you are internally wrestling with, don't rely on any one of those as the 
the sole compass of your life, but be open to God speaking through those things. Test them. Don't quench. Don't assume. Don't despise. Test. Hey, thanks for listening to today's message. I need your help. Would you rate this podcast and give it an honest review to let others know what they can expect from this podcast? It would really help us in reaching more people with the truth of God's word. And be sure to check out AboveReproachMinistry.com for all of our free resources like trainings, Bible courses, worksheets, our online church, and much more. Thanks again for listening to this podcast and leaving a good review for others.